All right, good morning to you. We have been to the throne of grace this morning in our worship, and it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Yes, now's a good time to applaud. Amen. We are blessed already, and this morning we are starting a new series entitled, We Believe. And it kind of goes something like this. There's something called the Baptist Faith and Message, and it was written way back in 1925 and finally updated in the year 2000. And it's kind of a concise statement, rather concise statement, of what we as, I really hate to say Baptist, but I've got to. And the reason I hate that is because really it's what? True believers in Jesus Christ. It should be like, it's almost like a universal statement across the true church of Jesus Christ. However, it's adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention, so we as Baptists believe. And so what we want to do, are you ready, for the entire summer, in the entire summer, about 13 messages, we're going to go through and look at these articles, these sections of the Baptist Faith and Message, and it talks about, as the song says, what we believe. Because it's important you know what you believe. Now, I need to tell you this. There is no way that this is going to be a real concise study of what all that is about, what the Word of God says about different topics. We could not do that probably in several years, much less several weeks. So my plan is this. I... Um, as a teacher, what I believe is that there really ought to be something, there should be a takeaway every week for you. I, I know there are opportunities and times to teach for information. However, I really believe that we should teach for transformation. I honestly believe that, that what you hear today, there should be something in it that's power, the power of God, not what I say, but the power of God will cause transformation in your life. So hopefully as we journey through here, it's not just a doctrinal study, because that's, I probably wouldn't be very good at that, to be honest with you, um, um, but, but it's a study of what God says about items, and let that impact the way that we live. Now, again, the first article is the Bible, it is scriptures, and what a great place to start. What a great place to start. You know, the Bible's just so important. I'm so afraid, though. I really, I thought about it several times this morning, and I honestly believe it's a, I think we would have almost an anemic relationship with the Word of God. If there's anything we should know a lot about, it is the Word of God. I know, you know, parents, we're real big in sports these days, and you want your child to know everything there is about soccer or baseball or whatever it is, basketball. You want to know all the ins, all the outs, and all the procedures. And that's a good thing. If you're, if you're a good employee at your job, you should know your job inside and out. If you're a teacher, you should know pretty much your material. If you're an English teacher or an algebra teacher, you should know that material and be able to share that material on, on a consistent basis with those you're trying to teach. What I'm trying to say is, is that we should know the Word of God. We should know the Word of God. And the reason we're so anemic sometimes, anemic in our Christian life, is that we do not know what God says about certain things. So I'm looking forward to sharing today just a little bit about the Word of God. Now, how many of y'all remember the B-I-B-L-E? I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'll, read, I'll say the words to you. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God the B-I-B-L-E. And when I was a kid, that was a standard in Sunday school. I mean, we went to Sunday school, you sang the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. And you know, did you know on next Monday, not tomorrow Monday, but next Monday, we're going to start Vacation Bible School. And we're going to have the kids place their hands over their heart. And they're going to say, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. And would make it a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, and hide its words in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. 
And then we have what happened this morning. Let me back up just about two weeks. So I was going upstairs to Sunday school class um, about two weeks ago. And I had one of those burning bush moments. You ever have burning bush moments? So, you know, remember the story of Moses in the desert? You know, he saw a bush that did not burn up. And he said, I must turn aside and see what this is all about. A bush that does not burn up. So he turned and saw. Well, I was right there fixing the head up to the steps. And I heard what you heard today. I heard the sound of little voices repeating the books of the Bible. So I turned aside and went down the preschool hallway and about the third room on the right-hand side, I poked around there and looked, and there were these wonderful children and our, just two of our great teachers sharing and teaching them the books of the Bible. How incredible is that? And I just got to say this. I want to say amen, hallelujah, to what Nan said. If you don't have your kids in Sunday school consistently, you need to get them there. You need to get them there. I'm telling you, our kids need to have God ingrained into their DNA. And, of course, eventually come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is so important. Worship's cool. But I'm telling you, small groups are so important. It's important you have your children where they can learn about Jesus. So, so that was what happens as a child. But what I find happening is that when we get a little bit older, we, again, we read the Bible more for information than transformation. So we want to look this morning and see, you know, is the Bible, what is the Bible, and can the Bible really be trusted? What is the Bible, and can the Bible really be trusted? Well, this marvelous book is 66, it's a collection of 66 writings. Really, we say books, but it's really letters and writings. Uh, 66 books, um, you know, 44 in the New Old Testament and 22 in the New Testament, written by about 40 authors over a couple of millennia of time. It's an incredible, incredible book. It is, it is, it is the Word of God. It is truth without any mixture of error. It is a book that can be trusted. And the reason why this book is still here after all these years and different societies and cultures is because, in fact, it is the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is given to us so God can reveal Himself to us. Now, if you're taking notes, you probably need to write that down. The Word of God is given to us that God can reveal Himself to us. Now, in the Baptist faith and message, there are two ways... That God reveals himself, and one is called a general revelation of God. Now, I want to change that because I can, because i got the microphone. And I want to say, rather than a general revelation of God, make it say a natural revelation of God. Now, I'm one of those things. I'm a pretty simple guy. And um, I just, I don't have any problem seeing God everywhere. Can I have an Amen. I mean, if you know, I, I get up early. I, I'm usually walking by 5.30 or quarter to 6. And I'm walking, and I see lots of sunrises. And I look and see these beautiful sunrises, and I see God in that. The other day, I was in the backyard just this past week. I was in the backyard sitting there, and all of a sudden, in the eastern sky, um, just peeking over, over, the, over the horizon, was this beautiful full moon. 
And I said, oh God, you've outdone yourself. How beautiful it is. If you've taken trips and seen the beauty of the mountains and the rivers and the streams, you know what I'm trying to say today about how, how you look and you see God everywhere. Um, we have several young babies in our church, and we, we are thankful that you know, God just, one way to grow a church is keep having babies. And we keep having babies. And you look in that little tiny face, and you see the wonder of God. You see the wonder of God. You hear reports like Mama T gave of no cancer. Uh, you can go, you know, there's God. It's an act of God. And I wish we could train ourselves to understand, to look for God everywhere. Don't just, don't just get in the habit of, of when you see things, oh, that's a pretty sunrise. Think about the God who created that sunrise. Think about the God who created that new life. Think about the God who created the mountains that, that are so beautiful. Uh, you know, if you haven't been out to the Garden of Gods recently, you need to go. You need to go because you're going to be amazed for all fresh and new how beautiful and wonderful it is right here in southern Illinois. And you're going to be amazed at what God has created right there 25 miles from us. So we look around and everywhere we see God. Now, the scripture speaks to that and it speaks to it in, in Psalm 19.1. Psalm 19.1. Here's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. In other words, the Bible affirms what I just said. If you look around, if you look around, you see God everywhere. Now, let me just kind of help us today to get a hold of the majesty of God shown in creation. Um, some of you have heard of a guy named Louis Gigolo. Um, he's, I was going to say a young pastor, but Louis's probably about 56, 57 years old, so he's not very young anymore. Uh, but he has a sermon and really a series that he preached just, uh, called Indescribable. And he talks about the indescribable majesty of God. And as part of that, he throws out some numbers and statistics that really almost make you, no, no, they do make you go, Wow. So I'm going to ask you to say wow and three times in just a moment. And so I think you probably need to practice, okay? So on, when I say one, two, three, I want us all to say wow. One, two, three. Wow. Not bad. This side's stronger. You guys need to work on it. Let's do it one more time. This side, y'all need to come on just a little bit stronger. So on the count of three. One, two, three. Wow. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Well, here's how it all starts. So you probably know, or at least you've heard, that the speed of light, the speed of light, in other words, the, the speed that light travels from one distance to another is 186,000 miles per second. 186,000. No, not yet. Hang on to the wow. Hang on to the wow. Okay, you're close. Not quite. Okay, so this is wow number one coming up. Okay, so 186,000 miles per second. And this universe is so big that we had to come up with a new measuring way to talk about it. Like Louis said, inches and, and feet and yards and miles won't get the job done. They had to come up with a new way. It's so big and so vast, he had to come up with a new way. And what they came up with is something called light years. Light years. So if light travels at 186,000 miles per second, a light year is the distance that light would travel in one year. All right? Now, get this. This is get ready for the wow. Okay. So that means that light in a year would travel 5.88 trillion miles in a year. 
Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. 5.88 trillion miles in one year. That is simply an amazing number. Now, now it gets better, okay? Now, our neighborhood, okay, remember, keep in mind, not still named Louis Giglow. This is his talk, part of his talk. You know, our neighborhood in the universe is called the Milky Way, okay? Now, if you've been to Africa or you've been to Montana in the middle of darkness, you've probably seen the Milky Way like around here you don't see it. You know, we, we talk about the Milky Way, and yeah, it's up there somewhere. Well, if you go to Africa where it's really dark, okay? By the way, this does not work in a coal mine. It's really dark, but you can't see the sky. So don't look up in the coal mine and try to see the Milky Way. You won't see it, okay? So, so anyway, so, so if you've been to Africa or Montana where there's so few lights and so little pollution, and you've looked up, and you literally see this milky sauce-looking thing, across the universe. And that is our view of where we live, our neighborhood, and it's called the Milky Way. Now, here's the really big wow. Okay, now do you remember? It takes, in one year, light could travel 5.88 trillion miles. That would be like one, tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions, trillions. Are you getting the picture how big this is? Okay. So, so in, in one year, it travels 5.88 trillion miles. Just our Milky Way, if you went from edge to edge, it would take you 100,000 light years. Yeah, there's the wow. In other words, it would take, you know, our Milky Way is about 600,000 miles light years across. It's huge. It's huge. And that's just our neighborhood. That's just a part of, the, of this universe where we live. It's simply amazing. Now, wow number two is this. In our Milky Way, okay, now, oh, by the way, by the way, and, and keep in mind, the heavens declare the majesty of God, okay? Just keep in mind who the creator is, okay? It wasn't the Big Bang theory. Well, actually, it was. He spoke it in existence and bang, there it was. Okay? <laughs> All right? So, so, anyway, so, wow factor number two, okay? Wow factor number two is that in our Milky Way, there are billions of stars. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Billions of stars. In fact, if you were to count the stars in the Milky Way, all right, it would take you 2,500 2, years. If you said one, if you said you know, one, two, three, four, about every second you name a star, a number of star, okay, it would take you 2,500 years to count the stars in the Milky Way. Isn't that incredible? Now, when you start, no, 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 wait, wait, you're going, Dwayne, I came to church for a sermon. You are getting it, buddy, because you know why those stars are there? Because God put them there. That's why. That's what I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you beyond Harrisburg here. I'm trying to get you beyond our limited mentality here and understand how big God is. And then, and then, and then, scientists say that beyond our Milky Way, with its billions of stars, there are billions of Milky Ways in the universe, the known universe. So yeah, yeah. So so here we are. So we've got this. We've got this solar system. We've got the Milky Way. Well, billions of stars. Okay, and beyond that, there are billions of more Milky Ways in the known universe. How incredible is 
that. And that leads us to our third wow. In this, in this massive Milky Way of billions of stars, our sun is one. Our sun is one. And it's not like the star. It's about halfway out from the center to the outer band of the Milky Way, somewhere right in the middle. We're just a mediocre star. Our sun is sitting right there in the middle. Okay? And, and listen to this. If, if our solar system was the size of a quarter, okay, and the Milky Way was the size of the North American continent, that would be the comparison. See, we think, well, our solar system, we're big dogs. No, we're not. We just live on a surrounding, you know, Earth circles, a mediocre star, one of billions, very insignificant. And the only significance there is, is the God factor. The God factor. Our God is so big, and the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And like Louis Gigolo says in another sermon, he says, you know, if it was just us, that would seem like a terrible waste of space. But when you put God in the equation, it's just about right. The heavens declare the majesty and the wonder of God. Now, because he's so big and so wonderful, okay, and nature reveals this to us, the natural revelation of God, we see in Isaiah 40 a great verse tucked away in the prophecy there. In verse 25 it says, God speaking, he asks a great question. Who will you compare me to or who is my equal? If you've got a God who... You know, spoke all this into existence, and there's billions of stars and billions of Milky Ways beyond our Milky Way, okay? He says, so, so who will you compare me to? Or who is my equal? I don't know what God you're chasing, but he ain't that big. I don't know what God you chase. God of materialism? God of wealth? The God of pride? The God of position, power, authority? I don't know. I'm telling you what, there ain't no God like this God. He said, who are you going to compare me to? Who, who, who's my equal? And says the Holy One. In verse 26, he says, look up and see. Hey, look up and see. Who created these? Talking about all these billions of stars. He goes on and says, he brings, he, God, brings out the starry host by number. He calls all of them by name. Shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. He brings out all these stars. And by the way, keep in mind, those ones you see over your house at night, that's not even a fraction. It's a teeny tiny part. And beyond all that, he calls them out by number. He calls them by name. You know, Mama T sang that song this morning. Were you overwhelmed? Let me help you be overwhelmed. The God... Who in Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The God who created the Milky Way that takes a hundred thousand light years to go across, okay? The God who made billions of stars and then billions of Milky Ways and somehow in his wonderful sovereignty picks this star called the sun 
And this planet called Earth puts us in what they call the golden zone where everything lines up, the moisture, the temperature, and all of that, and puts Adam and Eve in a garden. And here we are today. That is awesome and incredible. That is huge. That is so huge. And that is the God. So, his eyes on the sparrow. That should, well, that should blow you away. The creator God of the uniform, universe has got his eye on you. Oh, come on, say amen. I mean, like I say, in the big scope of things, we're very insignificant. But we are significant because God loves us. Because God loves us. Jesus said, you know, that he can count the number of hairs on your head. Now, I know. For some of y'all, that's not a big deal. Yeah, uh-huh. One. Next, two, one, yeah, zero. Brent, I'm not going to mention your name, I promise you. I'm not going to mention Brent's name. Okay? No. Some of you got more. And he does say, you know, when a sparrow falls, when a sparrow falls, he knows. Now listen. That's incredible. God cares about you. I look at Chris Evans. Chris, I know sometimes the crops go good and sometimes they don't. But when they don't go good, he cares. And when they go good, he cares. When life goes well, he cares. When it's darkness, he cares. When you're well, he cares. And when you're sick, he cares. When you lose your job or you get your job, he cares. And it's this huge creator God that does this. And he goes on and says this in the last part of verse 26. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. The stars. Not one star ever goes missing. I mean, I can't keep track of my clothes. Well, where are my shoes at? Do you know where my shoes are? Do you know where are my keys? God, <laughs> yeah. God can keep track of the stars in billions of Milky Ways and not lose one of them. Do you think He can handle your problems? Do you think He can take care of you? I say, men, he most certainly can. And I even love this. In Romans 1.20, continue that thought about the natural revelation of God. Romans 1.20 says, Paul writing, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, um, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things he has made. In other words, the evidence for God has always been there. And then he says something that will rattle our world. He says... So they, people, are without excuse. So they are without excuse. People say, well, I don't believe in God. How can you not believe in God? How, come on, come on. How can you not believe in God? How, how can we be so foolish? And I'm, believe me, I'm not try, I am not trying to sound like a preacher. I am rather logical. And how in the world can we have some kind of faith that says we were some kind of a protein mass laying on something somewhere and somehow we've evolved and evolved and evolved and here we are today, ta-da, thank you, ma'am. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's asinine. You know, it does, listen, it takes a lot more faith to believe that junk than it does to believe the truth about Jesus Christ and who he is. I'll guarantee you that. I'll guarantee you that. So that's who God is in the, in the natural revelation. But he wasn't done yet. As great as that is, he wasn't done yet. He gave us something more, and that something more is his word. 
That something more is at work. This, this one I described, the 66 books uh, you know, in, in the Bible, uh, written over uh, several millennia, uh, uh, you know, uh, 40 authors putting this. And you know what's really cool is? It's one story. It's one story. When you start in Genesis and end in Revelation, it's one story of God revealing himself to mankind, the mankind that he loves, and a mission of rescue, redemption, so that fallen man could come back in relationship with holy God. It's really just an incredible, incredible story. Now, again, there's no other book like the Bible. There's none. There's no, there's no book... Um, this, this obviously predates the, the, uh, obviously the Book of Mormon. Very, uh, also, the Quran. This is older than that. In fact, there's not an ancient writing like the Bible anywhere else. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible book. Now, I rarely do this, and I'm, I, I hope it works. But I wanted to show you something. Several weeks ago, um, we showed the movie, The Case for Christ. It's the story of Lee Strobel um, as he went from atheist to believer in Jesus Christ. And part of that was he went to an expert and talked about the Word of God. Because we need to know something. Is the Word of God reliable? Is it, it, you know, Adrian Rogers said, you know, either it is what it says it is or it is the greatest collection of lies known to man. That's what Adrian Rogers said. So is the Word of God reliable? So take about three minutes and 40 seconds of our time. But I know a lot of you did not see this movie, and you need to see uh, what is spoken in this video clip. So, Beth, would you please show that? I, I, uh, I should tell you I'm a bit of a history buff. Uh, get that volume up, please. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly intrigued with your archaeological work. Uh, former life. Uh, former life, yes. I'm a... I'm a bit surprised, given your uh, your stellar reputation, that you just gave all that up for, uh, for this. Would you like to be more specific? Well, it just seems to me that, for the better part of two thousand years, Christianity has been creating these these rituals and these rules. You know, they've erected these elaborate and often expensive cathedrals, and all of that to support a faith that I believe is is ultimately built on sand. And yet, it's all still standing. Yes, because people keep telling each other the same stories over and over again. Just because I write something down and I bury it in the dirt, it doesn't make it true. I think I'm beginning to see the crux of your visit. <laughs> Look, I, I understand that a number of people claim to have seen Jesus after his crucifixion, and some of them even wrote it down. But I guess my question is, how, how can we be sure of the reliability of those manuscripts. Well, the same way we authenticate any historical document, by comparing and contrasting the copies that have been recovered. It's called textual criticism. The more copies we have, the better that we can cross-reference and figure out if what the original was saying is historically accurate. And the earlier they come from in history, the better. Take Homer's Iliad, for example. Is this real? It's as real as the Macedonian dirt that I dug it up from. Well, the Greeks considered this their Bible for many centuries. Yes, they did. That is one of 1,565 copies in existence today. Now, the Iliad was originally composed 800 years before Christ. Okay. This Greek copy is dated at the 3rd century AD. 
So, 800. So that's that's 1,100 years between this copy and the original, yes? Correct. There is only one ancient collection of writings that has more authenticated copies than the Iliad. Can you guess what that is? You're going to tell me the Bible. The New Testament. And how many copies is that? To date, archaeologists have recovered 5,843 Greek New Testament manuscripts. That's four times as many as the Iliad. Really? The earliest fragment of the Gospel of John was found in ancient Egypt, and it dates to 2nd century AD. How close is that to the original? Less than 30 years. I have one of the fragments in my collection. It's quite a treasure, isn't it? Uh-huh. After the New Testament and the Iliad, the runners-up don't even come close. We only have 100 copies of Sophocles, 7 copies of Plato's Tetralogies, and only 5 copies of anything by Aristotle. In fact, if you laid the surviving copies of Aristotle, one on top of the other, they would make barely 4 feet. You do the same with surviving copies of the New Testament, the stack would be a mile high. Nothing else in history even comes close. How is that for reliable? Oh, Father, I certainly... How is that for reliability? 1,500 copies of the Iliad and 5,000 copies, fragments of the New Testament. The Bible is reliable because it has stood the test of time. The Bible is reliable because it is the Word of God. So we have nature giving us the general revelation of God, and now God gives us, and again, the um, Baptist faith and message uses the word special. I would like to say specific, the specific revelation of God. And so God's Word, over and over, dozens, hundreds of times, it reveals truth to us, about who God is. Real quickly, let me just take about three different areas that we can look at. Let me start in the future, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 8. And let's see what God says, God's word says about himself in Revelation 4, 8, looking forward in the future. There it says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Now, that is very loaded with truth about God. These, the, looking forward, these creatures will say, holy, holy, holy. Anytime you see something in the Bible said three times, it is for intensity. It is for intensity. It lays importance on it. And so what, what the, what the, what the uh, creatures are saying when they say holy, holy, holy is that this is an important, intense truth. And the word holy, of course, means set apart. Set apart. Now, there's, only, there's, there's two categories. There is God and God wannabes. There is God and God wannabes. There really are no other gods. You do understand that, don't you? There is one true God and everything else is false. It's not real. God is in a category of one. God is in a category of one. 
He's holy, holy, holy. And he slips the word in and says, the almighty. That means that he's omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. In other words, now make sure you get this, that what the Bible says about God is there's nothing more powerful than him. And you need to know that because if you're a Christ follower and if you do believe in Jesus and if you have made that commitment, then that means the Bible is your book and God is your God because when you face something, you need to ask this critical question. Is it bigger than my God? Is it bigger than my God? Whether it's an illness, a circumstance, whatever it is, is it bigger than my God? And if you truly believe in the one true God, the creator God, guess what? There's nothing you're going to face that's bigger than him. There's nothing you're going to face that's bigger than him. That's very crucial. The Almighty, and then we see he's timeless. The Almighty who was, or words in the past, who is, and who is to come. So if you look to the past, as far as you can look, all eternity, look, 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 wait for it, look, God's there. And right now, he's with you right now in your present. And as far as you can look in the future, look, 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 wait for it, look, he's there. So already in this future scripture from Revelation 4, 8, that's going to happen, we see these wonderful truths about God. If we go over to the New Testament, to, to when Jesus had just finished walking on the earth, in 1 John 4, 16, here's what John said. And we have come to know, we've come to experience and believe the love that God has for us. The, now watch, watch, watch. It says, God is love. So we come to know and experience the love that God has for us, and he tells us something about God. Now listen. God is love. Now listen. God is not a God who just loves. He is love. There's a huge difference. God is not a God who just loves people. He is love. And we are objects of that love. God is love. And and, isn't it crazy? Listen to this. Here's the DNA of who we are. If you're a Christ follower, listen to your DNA. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. So it's, so it's amazing. In the scripture, you know, we come to know and believe the love of God. God is love. It's who he is. It's not just a characteristic of him. It's who he is. Okay? And like, likewise, when we have his DNA, okay, our DNA becomes love. Whoever, whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. That's why Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Because it's the love of is the DNA of God. And then let's look back in the past. And this one, I use this scripture Wednesday night. I used it on the baddest hour. I'm using it today because I love this scripture. It's Lamentations uh, 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never stops. His mercies never come to an end. They, they are new every morning. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. Now, if you're one of those folks that never mess up, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But if you're with the vast majority of us who regularly mess up, it's great to know that every day God goes to his mercy counter, pulls them out, okay, and restores that mercy fresh and new every day. Have you ever gone to the refrigerator and you open the door and you go, oh, no, I'm out of ketchup, I'm out of mustard? Well, let me tell you something. You can go to God's refrigerator and open up and look for his mercy. And guess what? You'll never find an empty refrigerator. Because his mercies are new every day. And trust me, we need his mercy. He is a faithful God.
Isn't that awesome? Come on, that's just awesome. Oh, go on, go, go, go. Come on, 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 come on. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm telling you, we are a mercy needy people. And we have a God who loves to put out the mercy. Loves to put out the mercy. Well, we better, let me get one more scripture in. We won't finish, but we'll get close enough. So, so really, so, so what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is inspired by God and penned by men. Inspired by God and penned by men. Um, the, the biggest scripture for this, the most powerful scripture, is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All right? We'll, we'll have this and then we'll close. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, here's what it says. All scripture. Now, is all all? Okay, all is all. The parts we like and the parts we don't like. The parts in the New Testament, parts in the Old Testament. Um, the parts we're familiar with and the parts we're not familiar with. All scripture. Okay, the whole deal. Okay, all scripture is inspired by God. Oh, this is good. This is good. You need to write this one down. The word inspired there in the Greek means God breathed or God exhaled. God breathed or God exhaled. Now, here's what makes it even more special. Here's a magnifier. Okay? The magnifier is, guess how many times that is used in the entire word of God. God. The entire Bible, how many times is that phrase, God breathed, God exhaled, used? One time. It shows just how exclusive the Word of God is. God chose in His whole Bible to only use the phrase that God exhaled or God breathed one time in the entire Bible, and it is right here, right now. All scripture is inspired. All scripture is breathed by God. All scripture is exhaled by God. And he goes on and says this, it is profitable. Oh, I hope we can learn that. It's profitable. You need the word of God. You need the word of God. You know, some of us remember the days when you had the Raleigh McNann atlases. And you went to Walmart or wherever and bought your new copy. It's all you had. You wouldn't dare try to go to California without a map. And now that's been superseded by GPS. What a wonderful invention GPS is. And boy, you punch in an address and it tells us right where to go. Well, I'm telling you, the Word of God is better than any GPS. It tells us how to go. It tells us where to go. It tells us how to do life. It's very, very powerful. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. You know, again, I read in one of the commentaries, you know, that Warren Wiersbe said that this breaks down this way. He says, proper for teaching. In other words, the Bible tells us what is right. The Bible tells us what is right. And also, it says, it's proper for teaching and for rebuking. So the Bible tells us what is not right. It tells us what is right. It tells us what is not right. And then it's for correcting how to get right and instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. That's why the Bible is so important. For the, listen, the Bible is just not so God can check off these check marks in, in, up in the throne room going, okay, here, I made a rule, now you've got to keep it. Man, I'm telling you, this book, this book is for our good. Your best life is in obedience and down the will of God in accordance with this book. 
I'm telling you, when you don't know the book, you wander around, you bump into walls, you bump into circumstances, you bump into and consequences. And you say, man, life is difficult. Get in the book. Get into the book. You daddies, listen. Get into the book. Mamas, get into the book. Grandparents, get into the book. Students, get into the book. You've got to become a scholar of the Word of God. And you can't read it just for information. You've got to read it for transformation. I'm telling what, when you get into the Word of God, the Word of God gets into you. And when the Word of God gets into you, it changes you. And when it changes you, your life is better. Your life is better. I tell you, listen, 64 years old, I know about this. I wish I could tell you I'm a Bible scholar because I'm not. But I've learned enough to know this. That when Dwayne gets into the Word and Word gets into Dwayne, it changes him and life is better. Fewer consequences, fewer regrets. That's what happens when you get into the Word of God. So we've got to close. We're out of time. So, so how are we going to wind this up this morning? We've got to make up an ending because this is not the ending in my notes. Okay? So, so how are we going to end this? We're going to have to do the same thing Billy Graham did. We're going to have to go back and follow in the steps of Billy Graham. Um, Billy Graham was, was young. I tried to do some math in my head. He was probably 35 years old, uh, somewhere there, maybe, maybe 40. And one of his very, very dear friends walked up one day, a man who respected, again, a good friend, and said, I just can't buy it anymore. I don't believe the Word of God. I do not believe it is inspired. I do not believe it was that era. And, and Billy Graham was just devastated. I mean, it was just devastating. He was in ministry, and yet he started having all these doubts about the Word of God, what it was, who it was. Was it inspired? Was it true? Was it reliable? And so he was at a camp in the San Bernardino Mountains, that's close, in California in 1949. And in desperation, he walked into the woods one night. He laid his Bible down on... This is a true story, by the way. This is not some made-up preacher story. He laid his copy of the Word of God and began just begging God for affirmation about the Word of God. So finally, and I want to read it so I'll get it exactly right. Here's what he prayed in 1949. Father, and this is what we need to do. This is the bottom line. Father... I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I am going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I will believe this to be your inspired word. I'm going to read to you again. Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. It was a monumental turning point in the life of Billy Graham. It was after this declaration to himself and to God that God began to use him in a huge way. When he nailed down for himself that the Bible is the word of God, It changed his life. He later said these words. I learned the importance of the Bible 
and came to believe with all my heart in its full inspiration. It became a sword in my hand to break open the hearts of man to direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know anything about his preaching, what was one of his taglines? The Bible says. The Bible says. And my brothers and sisters, would that become not just a tagline, but a statement of our faith in this book? The Bible says. I'm going to give you a big piece of information. It really doesn't matter what your preacher says. It doesn't matter what your friends say. It doesn't matter what culture says. Students, it doesn't matter what your friends say. It matters what the Bible says. It is true. It can be trusted. It is the Word of God. Would you bow your heads, please? As always, we give a time of decision at the end of our service. If you're here today and you've not come to that point when you realize that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior, you needed forgiving, you heard enough truth today to understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died for your sins. And then he opens this floodgate open and says this, you know, if you'll come to me, I'll forgive you. Don't care what nationality or race you are. Don't care if you count yourself a really big sinner or a small sinner, if there are categories like that. He promises, if you ask him to by faith, he'll forgive you when you turn from your sin and choose to follow him. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and that's our invitation to come and follow Jesus. The other invitation is very precise, very precise today. Are you willing today to say what Billy Graham said? Father, I've come to the point where I choose to believe by faith that this is your word. I'll lay aside my intellectual questions and doubts and by faith believe your word. It will change your life. It will change your family's life. It will change our church. And you know what? It will change our culture. So God, thank you for the privilege of sharing today. Father, if there is someone here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, may today be their day. Father, I pray that, Lord, if there are people in this room today, and most likely there are, who are wrestled with the Word of God, it, Lord, I pray today they'll make that declaration of faith, stating they believe, they believe that the Bible is what it says it is, the Word of God. Now, Lord, you know other needs today. You know other needs. I just pray, Jesus, in your precious name, that you would meet those needs as you see fit. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, would you stand to your feet, please? Dave's got a song course and a team. Prince down front. Anything we can pray with you about, any decision you need to make, we are here for you today.